Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. My goal with this show is to help you get out of your own head and step into your full potential. Each week, I'll either be sharing my own personal story or I'll have a guest on providing you with their insight, perspective, and story to show you that anything is possible if you work hard and put your wondering mind to it. So let's get started. Welcome to the Wondering Mind podcast. I am your host, Emily Elizabeth, and today I have a very special guest. She is a badass entrepreneur, fashion designer, and just all around an amazing human being. Miss Amanda Dare is in the building today. Yay! <laughs> now a blushing Amanda Dare is in the building. <laughs> Thank you. That was a really sweet intro. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. <laughs> so let's dive into what you do for a living. For those of us who don't know, who've never heard of you before, they're missing out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Sure. So I own a company called The New Black, which our mission is to empower women through conscious fashion. We do that in a multitude of ways, but basically um, my aesthetic is very minimalist vibe with kind of the slow or capsule, like slow fashion or capsule wardrobe pieces in mind. Um, We actually make all the clothing right in our design studio and shopping lounge and sell it all out there as well. So it's a very transparent production process and a very like minimalist design aesthetic that kind of wraps our brand um, into something really cool that I love so, so much. That's awesome. So one of the main things that your brand represents is inclusivity to all types of women. Mm -hmm. So what made you want to start this business? What motivated you to start this business so that you could make all these women feel included and beautiful and special. What was your motivating factor for that? Well, I think the empowerment and the um, kind of impact I wanted to have um, really stems from within. And I think the sustainability and kind of ethical aspects, which are a little bit um, kind of easier to track, like as a transparent model is really important. So for example, like I was working in fast fashion and I was working in the mall and mall management at a few big stores um, over probably five, six years ago. Now it's crazy to think how long ago that was, but I was unpackaging like 50 boxes of shipment sometimes and everything was in its own little like plastic wrapped um, package as well and just creating a lot of waste and that started to really irk me and then I also realized that the clothing I was unpackaging was selling for like five dollars a piece and before I'd worked in mall management I had owned kind of a custom clothing business uh, the new black is my fourth business so it's been a long long journey um, but I owned a new another business where I was a seamstress and designer made custom clothing, and I was looking at these clothes that were selling for $5, and I was like, um, this is really hard to make. How is it possible that the person that is physically sewing these clothes being paid some kind of living wage? Like, I wasn't very educated. So uh, I was looking at these clothes, started to really realize that there's no way it's possible that the person was making any amount of 
living wage or anything like that. And basically, where were the fabric source from? How is this just such an expensive piece? And how was I part of a system that was really pressuring women into buying new clothing every single week that then would fall apart or would be so trendy that the Mm. next week it was already out of fashion. And myself being in that situation and selling that situation to women was starting to become uncomfortable. But also myself going through that, I had to wear all the clothes. I had to buy all the clothes. I had to, I was incredibly pressured by my upper management (laughs) to make my sales goals. And if I wasn't wearing them and buying them, like how could I be doing that? So about two years or probably a year and a half into that, I was getting really upset that I was in debt and I was buying clothes to make sure I was making my sales goals if like no one walked in that day so I wouldn't be yelled at by my upper management. So that was really depressing and frustrating. And then I was also really questioning the idea of like, why is this this price? Where did this come from and who made it? And I started to look into that and about 80% of women or 80% of garment workers in the world are women and they're in incredibly oppressive situations. There's a ton of sexual and physical abuse that goes into many of those situations. So the idea is that we would empower women through all parts of the process to make fashion that was a little bit more guilt-free to enjoy. So through it, you know the woman that designs it, me, hello, head seamstress as well. Um, So I'm also head of um, all of the seamstresses. They're all beautiful, amazing women. Most of them own their own brands as well. Uh, It's a great part-time option for them as well. And you can meet them and talk to them and actually hear their stories and learn about their businesses, empower them. And then from then on, you get to walk into this space where you're already feeling good about the fabric is a sustainable option. The clothing is ethically made. It's a transparent process, but you leave wearing something that feels like pajamas, but (laughs) you look really put together. So from our conversations in the dressing room to feeling you know, like I said, kind of empowered in any situation. So if you're running around in our bamboo dresses to chase your kids on the playground, or if you're in front of a boardroom giving the most important speech of your life to a room full of men, most likely, like you are going to feel comfortable and confident and you're going to be able to kind of live in any of those situations and know that you're empowered from the decisions that you made from purchasing your clothing and you just feel really great in it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I can vouch her clothes are probably <laughs> some of the softest clothes I've yeah. literally ever worn and felt in my life. Yeah. Bamboo is a really great option <laughs> for sure. So mm-hmm. soft. Thank you. I love them. I love them too. So if you <laughs> haven't checked out the new black yet, you definitely have to. It's over mm-hmm. in Nulu mm-hmm. on Washington. Yeah, Washington and Campbell. And the new black is spelled um, the new N-E-W, or sorry, I should say T-H-E-N-E-W-B-L-A-K. So there's no C in black. What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so a lot of people ask me about like the name. Mm -hmm. um, But basically the idea behind the full name is that we think of the trendy fashion phrase like blank is the new black. So fill in the blank with whatever trend is going on. 
So we always want to be the new black. We want sustainable, ethical, and women's empowerment to be the new black, as the trendy fashion phrase goes. And then <laughs> taking out the C um, was, I think, my brother's idea. But the idea that you know the new black isn't just based around the color um, black, because we're known for our little black dresses. But B-L-A-K black can mean so much more and can kind of be the concept versus the color. So that's why we do it. I think that's an amazing idea and that makes so much sense thank you and i never asked you that before I don't yeah think. i don't so think I'm so i'm glad that i yeah that i asked you that question most people think it's because they're black dresses right and we offer everything in black but it's more of like that's more because it's the capsule wardrobe and when i was getting started and i was selling all these trends i really wanted to find something that was timeless and seasonless and something that you know, you really could wear in any situation, and the most timeless piece you can own is a little black dress, so that's where I started with it, so, yeah. <laughs> so now I want to kind of dive into um, some of the mental health aspects, mm-hmm. because I know that you and I both suffer from anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. which it's crazy because when you first, like when I first met you, for example, and I'm yeah. sure other people have felt this way too, they would have no idea. Mm-hmm that behind closed doors you're dealing with other things on a day-to-day basis because they see you and you walk into the store and of course you're you're so perky and welcoming <laughs> and on and just mm-hmm. ready to just talk and you know make that person feel amazing mm-hmm. but what people don't realize is owning a business is very stressful and takes a lot of tolls Definitely. on one's mental health. So, so many tolls. <laughs> so many tolls. So let's talk about it. I think it's important that people underst- like understand sure. that it's not just a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. It's not just an overnight success story. It takes lots of years mm-hmm. of hard work. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can start with what made you want to leave a corporate job or a nine-to-five mm-hmm. and dive into the unknown of entrepreneurship and owning your own business? Well, I think because of how deep the story was starting to resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And I had so, when I say I've owned other companies, they were nowhere near the level that the new black has risen to over the last five years, which is crazy because like March 1st is our five year anniversary of when I like started my first Kickstarter <laughs> forever ago. <laughs> it's crazy. But when I was living in that situation and really started to, dive into those really deep rooted issues within the fashion industry. I just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And it was, I didn't have a great plan. Honestly, when I left, I just knew that I could no longer be a part of it. Um, I was actually covering for a manager who was pregnant at the time. So I was like an acting store manager. So I kind of had a little bit of a deadline where she was going to be back from maternity leave. And I loved her and respected her so much, but I was struggling with some other negative culture aspects between a lot of the women working there. So there were so many aspects that just made that the right time for me to leave. And I left and I am one of those people that once I make a decision, I jump off the cliff and build the parachute on the way down. Um, So because I think I have a lot of trust in myself and to know that I will be able to find with my skill sets that I have, with the personality that I have, with the uh, drive and will that I have to find something that will make me much happier and will be able to work out 
in the end. So I left and was ready to go. I launched the first Kickstarter basically like two days before my um, my last like day of my job was, like the day she was coming back from maternity leave. And it hadn't even like fulfilled yet because you have 30 days to like raise the money on a Kickstarter. So I just was ready to go and I left. Luckily, um, and you know, beautifully in my life, I've had a partner for, um, I mean, almost half my life at this point, but my husband and I have been married for six years. So he was, um, with me during that time. And to be honest, there wasn't even a lot of conversation with him about what are we going to do after this? You know, he had a very well-paying job and I did have, you know, some options of what I could do, but I just couldn't be a part of it anymore. And me coming home every night crying or upset about something different that happened, he knew that it was, you know, inevitable that I wasn't going to stay there. We just had to figure out the right move. And since I'd owned a business before, thought I could do it better than, you know, anybody else was doing it with sustainable ethical fashion. We just knew that something would work out. So the new block had kind of already started, but it was in incredibly beginner stages. And most of the time I would suggest people maybe move to like a part-time job. And I had little odd jobs, but like maybe start part-time and then part-time in your business to make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like I said, kind of luckily I had a very supportive partner who was willing to continue to help me with those things as I got started. So when it came to starting your own business and when you actually started to get into kind of the thick of things like Mm -hmm. the financial aspects and investments and where you're gonna have the building like the actual (laughs) storefront when it came to all these fine details how were you able to manage your anxiety in those moments like when it became overwhelming in the very beginning stages, because that's a lot to plan for. Definitely. Especially when it's so new. Mm-hmm. How were you, like, do you have situations that you can reflect on where you remember your anxiety being at such an all-time high to where you almost didn't think you could do it? Yeah. And how, if so, how are you able to push through? Yeah, I think coming from a situation where my anxiety was already high every day, struggling with my relationships with the coworkers and with my relationship with what I was, you know, selling and putting out there in the world, I had already felt those high anxiety moments that I knew I didn't want to be a part of. So I felt like when I started the new black, it was it was a little bit more of a relief from that. And then, of course, it did get difficult and was moving forward. But at the time of when I was starting, it was pretty simple. So, for example, I wanted to start with 10 dresses. I know I wanted to start with 10 dresses. And I was like, oh, this is a great, that's a great number. It's a round number. It's easy. I can get a lot of different, um, you know, dress designs and, like, handle a lot of different body types um, within those. But I could not actually complete um, paying for those samples and that fabric and all of those things. So I ended up starting with three dresses. So when you kind of get started, I, you, you always think that the big dream is where you're going to start. It is never the big end goal that you start with. It's always these tiny little steps towards that big end goal. 
And I wouldn't even say, I mean, in reality, my big end goal has changed every year as my company has grown. And, you know, over time, it's just going to keep getting bigger and better and, and not even bigger to the world, but bigger and fill more space in my own life that I'm just really excited to see where it goes. But in the beginning, like, it was like, how do I get these three dress, you know, samples made? Like, while I can sew and I can pattern, I didn't plan to start sewing and patterning in the very beginning. There was a women-owned company I was working with that was um, a few states away, so we would have phone calls and we would be talking about the designs and when something didn't match up, like, what do we do and what do we choose? And at the time, it seemed really stressful to not be in control of the design. Like, I mean, I was, I designed it, but not being in control of that process and getting it to an end garment, which I now keep in house because it's part of my creative process. And that, that was really stressful. So I think actually after I got the first designs back and they weren't exactly what I envisioned creatively, I took it back into my own hands and moved past it in a way that I know how to sew, I know how to pattern, I know how to create my vision. Maybe I don't know how to communicate it. So through sketches or through communication verbally, I wasn't able to get across that. And that was, as a creative person, incredibly like an internal struggle of like, well, but I'm the owner of the business, so like I shouldn't be doing the small thing. You just think that these CEOs like started out doing the CEO job and you're like, well, actually like that's not gonna happen unless I take these, um, this design process and this like sample process of my garments back into my control so that the finished one can be reproduced, you know, by my team of seamstresses that I work with, but also if I can't create that design and that vision to get to that point, we never get to that point. The actual CEO vision is so important. So it was incredibly stressful to me to communicate with someone that wasn't quite understanding my vision. And I think going through those moments, I and it was incredibly expensive, I should say. It is expensive to make garments. It's expensive to get patterns. And I mean, Depends on what you consider expensive, but as a woman that didn't have a job, you know, um, I think it was like $1,000 that I was spending with her. So for me, it was very stressful and expensive. And I think bringing that back in house into my own literal house and like sewing on my sewing machine (laughs) and creating the finished garment brought me back to a place of, you know, that anxiety and that control being a little bit more contained and it felt more natural for me to do that so I think if you have something that you're struggling to communicate or to control in your beginner business bringing it back in and taking the time to develop it fully and completely within your own creative team and to or through your own creative process so if I'm not a good sketch artist, she's not going to understand how to make a pattern from a terrible sketch. Like, but if I can sew and make the first one, that's a great way to get over it. So that's kind of a tangible thing, but I think bringing it back in to me and feeling also that I'm good enough to make my own pattern. I am, I don't have to have a quote unquote professional who's been doing that because I had the skill set and I didn't believe 
in myself or I didn't believe that's what I should be doing. But I think there was a lot of issue of like not being good enough at that moment in order to get it production ready. But I had to come back in and prove it to myself. And once I proved that to myself, I knew I was good enough. It's still something I do today, like five years later. Like I still make all the first samples and it's so creatively like energizing for me that I would never want to give that away again. But giving that away in the beginning because it's what I thought I should do was incredibly anxiety inducing because, you know, you're releasing your baby. Like you're, you're releasing your, you know, heart and soul onto the world and it's not coming back to you the way that you expect. And everything in the beginning felt like the end of the world. <laughs> like everything. It's kind of like when you're a teenager and your boyfriend breaks up with you and you're like, never again. Like this is never, ever going to, I'm never going to find love. I'm going to be upset all the time. And it's always a lot of anxiety and drama around <laughs> any situation. So then I was telling my husband, I'm sure, you know, like it's never going to be right. Da, da, da. And, you know, talking through those moments with him of, um, and him knowing me for 10 years plus before then. So going to someone you trust and someone who knows you is really important to be able to speak through those things. But him coming to me and being like, you have these skills. And I'm being like, oh yeah, I have those skills. Why am I paying so much money to someone because I don't feel good enough to do it myself? That's silly. <laughs> so brought it all back in, built up my confidence, finished the project. And I feel like by finishing those samples and getting them exactly the way that I wanted them to be, it proved to myself and to my anxiety, like, oh, it's okay. And it calmed that down a little bit for me. Kind of redirecting. Redirecting is good, yeah. Good helped you calm your nerves, mm-hmm. build your confidence. Mm-hmm. And taking back control of something that I had released because I didn't feel good enough to do it the first time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even try. Like, I didn't even try to do it right the first time. I tried to do something I wasn't good at, which was the sketching, to because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But I think reclaiming the idea, you know, reclaiming the project, and maybe not even redirecting, but just reclaiming that and, yeah. and proving it to myself. And, and doing and what works best for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, everybody's creative process is totally mm-hmm. different. And if, say, I was a great sketcher, um, I could sketch my you know, designs out and maybe someone would be able to really, you know, read them, resonate with them. There's always a little bit of, you know, work to do from a sketch to a finished garment, but that didn't feel good to me and feel right. And I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So regaining that control of something that made me so incredibly anxious and then proving to myself that the control, like I needed to control that to make sure that it was going to be right mm-hmm. and that my vision was going to come through. And then when it did come through, it, it yeah, I provided the evidence and it proved to myself, like, and it lowered the anxiety. Like, it raised my confidence and lowered the anxiety. Which is exactly what we're striving for. Oh, my gosh, In yeah. all aspects of life. Yeah. And, I mean, I still have designs today that don't work out, so you never know. But that's how you learn. Yeah, you just you have, have to, to keep make... going. But it doesn't feel the way it used to feel. Right. It feels more like now that I have had five years of, you know, going through that creative process and cre- and developing a product from, 
you know, I usually dream all of my designs, which is also really weird. I, it's a gift. It's a gift, but also it feels like I never stop working. <laughs> so I'm like, oh I, my gosh, I don't sleep very well. Um, but when I do, I usually solve problems um, in my dreams. But I usually wake up and the problem is figured out. So I'm like, okay, cool. We'll just move on. But it's it's kind of a weird thing that I like dream all the designs. So taking it from literally a dream into a finished that's correct. That's awesome. Is still something we keep in house today, and I had to learn that 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 was my process. So I want kind of want to talk about the fact that you mm-hmm. you've mentioned to me numerous times and other people that you don't sleep well at night. Yeah, I don't. So <laughs> how how are you able to function? Do you just yeah. kind of have a routine that you go about doing now? I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like eight hours of sleep, of consistent sleep, is so important, mm-hmm. especially when you're running your own business totally. and you have to delegate all these different projects yeah. and come up with all these ideas and deal with a husband <laughs> and employees. Yeah. Like, and sleep is so important. Mm-hmm. How do you function? How? Maybe what, what I should say is instead of I don't sleep well is that I don't sleep on a um, an organized schedule. Mm-hmm. I do feel that I sleep long enough because maybe I still wake up tired because I'm dreaming these and solving my problems while I'm dreaming or I like usually just dream about things that are issues so it's it's almost like sleep doesn't I'm not as like I love sleep don't get me wrong but I'm not as like enticed to fall asleep because it's not a break Mm -hmm. so for me um so just to give everybody that's listening some context, I moved um, my store to a beautiful shop down in Nulu, as you mentioned, but before that, um, so that was six months ago. So the previous two and a half years, I was located in a, a major mall here in Louisville, and it really built my business, and it was amazing, but the amount of anxiety and stress that came from being a fashion designer in a mall where people are walking in expecting fast fashion and you have to educate them around the idea of slow fashion or capsule wardrobes or even just ethical or sustainable fashion um, was incredibly stressful in itself to like everyone comes in expecting you're something else and you have to explain what you do every day um, was a lot but also being open 13 hours a day, closing at, you know, I wouldn't get home until 10 or 10.30 at night, and then having to be back at the mall around like 9 in the morning was a lot. So, and if we didn't open on time, there was a fine. So even when I had um, employees, I'd have to be up to make sure the store was open so that I wouldn't receive a fine that was like half as much as my rent to make sure that we were open on time. So it was very stressful, and only being closed two days a year was incredibly stressful and incredibly limiting to my creativity. I didn't come out with as many design ideas and with as many collections because I was just so limiting and there was no sunshine. So anyways, like there's no windows. That's awful. Oh, I never knew what time it was. I told mm-hmm. people it was like a casino. Like you never see like the you're sun. living in a cave. Yeah. You're living in a cave all day. I was literally working in the back of my store, which was actually like 1,500 square feet in the back of my store, so it was really large, um, and it had high ceilings, and that was kind of nice, but the front of my store was like 400 square feet, so I didn't have to fill a ton of space, you know, as like my showroom kind of vibe, and people didn't see me as like a big store, because they only saw the 400 square feet, but I was in that back room, and 
not seeing any sunlight, sewing for like 13 hours a day if I did have someone watching the front that day was crazy because I, I couldn't keep up with the demand of the front and everything. So just moving out of that situation and out of that stress and choosing the hours of my store has really helped my sleep and my anxiety a lot. So I would get anxious if I had left the mall at like 10 o'clock and I had to be back at nine. Being anywhere, and I know this sounds like maybe frustrating to people that work a nine to five, but being anywhere at 9 a.m. to me, it's stressful when I can't sleep and when I can't get to sleep. So my store opens at noon on purpose because that is noon to seven is when I work my best hours. And I usually stay, sometimes I come at 11, sometimes I stay till eight or whatever, you know, I get to choose. And that's the best part about it is because if I'm not asleep by 1 a.m., I could still sleep for eight hours and get up at nine and then shower and then eat and then go to the store. Or if I'm not asleep by 3 a.m., I can still sleep eight hours and get up at 11 and wear a beanie and rush out and there's some dry shampoo, <laughs> handle myself, and then get to my store, you know, by that time if I'm needed to be there at that time. And the other beautiful part about setting my own hours, that's such a big important part of this, is that the hours that the store is open, I have an employee that works those hours so that if I do struggle to sleep and I need to stay at home or I need to, even if I'm at home and I'm feeling really creative and I want to design something new, I have the option to follow that creative flow Whereas like in the mall, no matter what, like there was just, it was so much going on all the time. I couldn't take on other projects and I couldn't, I could, just couldn't seem to get excited about <laughs> a lot of things. And I was always so stressed out because if I wasn't there on time and if someone else wasn't there, like there was a financial, you know, burden that was added to my life that I was already trying to keep up with. So I think setting my own hours, but also like, those hours aren't really set for me. Like they're set for my customer and if I need to be there, I can. And I usually am. <laughs> but if I need to be somewhere else or if I decide to go get lunch with a friend or if I decide to you know, record a podcast or whatever I decide to do in that moment, it took me almost five years to feel comfortable getting there within my business. But my customers are happier that I'm happier. My, well, I call them my girl gang. So my girl gang is proud and excited for me and has now seen me design so much more cool stuff coming out for them. They know that if I follow my creative flow and if I sleep the hours that I need to sleep and I'm open the hours I need to be open, that I'm taking care of myself better, even though it's not great, <laughs> than I ever have before. And that they're really supportive of that. And that's really important to me, but also that's important to them that I'm, they recognize I'm a human being and not just a business. And the vision behind the business is what they love. And if I can't fulfill that vision because I'm so drained and burnt out like I was at the mall, they feel it too. Because I never really thought of that perspective mm -hmm. of why people who are entrepreneurs or own their own businesses set certain hours. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to understand it's not just a business. It, mm -hmm. There's someone behind that business mm -hmm. who is dealing with real life issues. Yeah. And for or for them to be successful, they have to 
you know, make their own schedule and their own routine so that they can set themselves up for success. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a nine to five or yeah. an eight to five or eight If to you four. want the best, you know, version mm-hmm. of that entrepreneur, working within their boundaries is the best way to get the best version. So I kind of want to talk about, because earlier in the very beginning, you said that you had had other job ventures that you started mm-hmm. previously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't think you really talked about them, but the point of me bringing them up is because I kind of want to talk about failure Mm -hmm. and how it's so crucial to the process of success. Mm. Yeah. And what people are most scared of when they are dipping into the entrepreneurial world is they're too scared to fail. Mm -hmm. They're too scared of the unknown and not realizing that sometimes you have to fail in order to be successful because that's how you learn those lessons. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I kind of think of my whole journey as a staircase more than failing and succeeding. It's all all the things that I've done and not on purpose. All the things that I've done in my life have led me here. And all the things that I will do today and will do tomorrow and you know, from then on will lead me to a higher step on the staircase. And that's just the journey. So thinking back to 10 years ago when I was deciding to be an entrepreneur and I made a headband in my dorm and sold it to one of my friends. <laughs> so I probably sold, you know, like two in a day to like a friend. And when I was an RA in college and I was like, oh my God, I love this, you know, and I just started to like make and make and make stuff. Um, And so when I think back to like those days, which pop up, you know, when you look at your like Facebook and that has a memory, Mm -hmm. that's the only reason I know how long ago it was. And then I, you know, it was like a couple of days ago, like it was 10 years, a few days ago. So it's just crazy. It's weird to see that stuff. And then I also made a headband holder that was a, uh, it was a roll of paper towels and then I wrapped it in fabric and like hot glued the ends and then hot glued little buttons on the ends. But then you could put all the headbands that I made onto the headband tower. So people would buy those for like $5. I mean, like I didn't understand pricing or anything then, but it was just, um, it was kind of crazy. So from going from there to where I am now, I don't really believe like, I think if you think of it, like it's an experiment versus a, of success or failure. Maybe if you think of it like an ex- experiment and you think you have the end hypothesis that you're going to come to, like this is my hypothesis. But if the experiment doesn't lead to that, it doesn't mean anything else. It just means you change a variable and you try again. And once I started to think of it in a way that was, well, everything I do is an experiment. And if the experiment, you know, maybe you keep the 80%, I always say this too, like keep the 80% that worked and ditch the 20% that didn't, or whichever percentage you know you need to keep. Keep the 50 that worked, <laughs> ditch the 50 that didn't. It helps you move up the staircase to the next step. Um, and for example, like, I mean, I started in theater acting, and actually I started singing, that's all, <laughs> even further back, like singing that led to musical theater, that led to theater, that led to costuming, that led to fashion. And I even went to school for sign language interpreting as well. I have two degrees and one is sign language interpreting and one is theater. But 
my fashion actually started to change because I was an interpreter and I started to wear more black because if you think about it, that's a great backdrop for your hands to express the language. So I was like, my first ventures, um, one was called the hanger. I have a little hanger tattoo on the back of my neck, which is part of my closure of the hanger. So like, you know, once I closed that, it was something that I did for myself. But I feel like when I had that, it was like pink polka dots and patterns. You guys are probably listening to me like, Amanda, what? And I'm like, yeah, you guys, like I had like a vintage vibe, (laughs) very like pinup girl kind of vibe for a long time. As I was, you know, I was 20, whatever, I don't even know, 21, two, when I was starting, I started my first store before I graduated college with all those prints and stuff and I was finding my style. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when I started interpreting and I started changing my style to be more um, professional, so like also a little bit modest to make sure that, you know, you're in a professional environment, you can be appropriate for any kind of meeting or anything. And then I kind of started wearing a little bit more black and I was like, oh, I always felt so like chic and put together. And I think combining all of these things got me to where I am. And if I had not had one of those things and I had knocked it, you know, down the list and thought, oh, it was a failure. I'm never going to think about it or look at it again because I can't, you know, I, if I let it take over and make me feel horrible about my own journey, like wouldn't be where I am. If you're in business and you want to consider it an experiment, or if you want to consider it a stair step to the next place where you're going to go, nothing that you ever learn or nothing that you ever do um, to invest in yourself or nothing that you ever do to even have as a hobby is going to be a negative effect on your life. I think the biggest thing that you could do is if you find out that you don't love doing something, that is a success. Like that's not a failure. Failure would be to keep doing that thing you hate for a really long time. And I mean, I've maybe done that. So those are maybe failures in a way, but if you can learn that you don't love doing something and you're not going to pursue it, it's still a success to learn that you didn't like it. And I think if you can think of it like that, it doesn't hurt quite the same. So that's also something we talked about at brunch, which Mm -hmm. struck me because as someone who wears a smaller size jean, like Mm -hmm. I didn't think about this, but Mm -hmm. you had brought up the fact that another reason why you wanted to start your business was so that you could create clothing that fit all different types of bodies. And you said that you would go to stores like chain stores and Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have your size and they would make you feel bad about it. Yeah. So I wear like a size 14. Yeah. And what we were talking about, you know, is the idea that like most women, you know, the typical size of a woman is around a 12 to 14 in the United States. And as someone who worked in fast fashion that couldn't wear all of the clothes. So even within my own store, my managers would kind of be like, well, you need to wear the clothes in order to sell them, in order to, you know, get people excited about wearing them. And I'd have to tell them, like, that's, we don't sell a size in this garment that you want me to purchase, even though I work here (laughs) and wear, you know, they wouldn't give you, like, a discount or free clothes or anything like that. Like, I had to invest in my wardrobe in order to sell the wardrobe. That, That was their point. I'd have to go to them and say, like, I cannot fit 
into this garment. I could wear some of the stuff I already own and happily talk about it, happily, you know, present it or whatever, but I'd have to like go to even my managers and they were basically say to me kind of like find a way. Like they would make everybody try on stuff even though it wouldn't fit even some of the other girls that were working there as well. We didn't fit into their model and their of their like size ideal instruction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their ideal image and that was frustrating to me because then I was as part of that company selling an ideal image that I couldn't ever be like in my own mind like that was never gonna be me like I understand there's you know people can probably think like well could you could lose weight I'm like well yeah could lose weight but I'm also very happy and confident and fulfilled in my own body and I would like to not be continually pressured to lose weight to fit your ideal image of me And so the opposite end of the spectrum of that is we were talking about when I would walk into a plus size store, um, like Elaine Bryant or so, and this, it's happened to me in Lane Bryant and Torrid where the sales staff, you know, they do fit a larger size than I did. And they would look down on me saying the same kind of thing, but from the opposite side, like, well, you don't fit our ideal image of you know what a plus size woman looked like so in the stores that sold straight sizing they sold maybe up to a 12 and in stores that sell plus sizing they they might sell a 14 but it's usually a little bit higher as um, sizing as well so it, it was difficult as a woman who wears the most typical size in the united states to fit into either store where I was just too big for the you know straight size plusing stores or too small or too short. I'm very short as well. I'm five one, so to be, you know, a petite plus is a struggle to find that sizing in any of those stores. And I always felt like, again, just not good enough in those moments for either place. And I would leave, and I wouldn't have anything to wear, and. I was struggling to find my own style still. And I was like, you know what? I know how to make clothes. What if I just made my own clothes? And so I designed for my body type first. And I believe that by starting at the size 14, which is probably between a medium and a large in uh, the new black sizing, that by starting there and grading, which grading is creating more sizes of a pattern, by grading those sizes from medium or large up to two to three X. And then we go beyond that as well. I would never turn away anyone that needed or wanted um, one of my pieces of art to wear around. (laughs) Like, of course, let me create something beautiful for you. But also the opposite direction. So women, you know, if we start at the medium or the large, usually the large, um, then we grade that down to a medium, small, extra small, extra, extra small. Like we offer a lot of sizes that direction as well. And then we also do hemming for those women or adding length, I do both, um, and altering our own garments any way necessary to make sure that person leaves feeling empowered and confident and just ready to take on the world. They feel like they can do that from that experience. I would never let someone cry in a dressing room like I did every time I was in one or feel negative, you know, about themselves or their bodies or, or, you know, internally or externally. Like I never want anyone to leave feeling that way because I felt that way so many times and by so much 
pressure. And it is kind of weird, you know, being in the middle of both of those places. Like I just didn't fit anywhere. And so I created my own like solution. And it turns out a lot of other women were in that situation or were petite or too tall for a certain garment somewhere else and come to me to make sure that they feel as beautiful and confident and empowered as they want to feel when they walk out of a store and as they feel when they want to be getting dressed in the morning. I get emails from people that have like worn them to speak in front of like their 25th class reunion and like how they couldn't imagine wearing any other outfit because they felt so confident in the outfit that you know we had made for them and it's stories like that and that's just one of many like that make me feel like the impact is so much more important and that's what I'm here for and because I struggled with all those things it's a very genuine heartfelt and people can hear it and see it and know it when they speak with me that I just would never want anyone to feel the way that I did and that's just across the board with all of the different pillars of the new black and all of them are important but the empowerment of women is my main goal with all of it I think that's amazing (laughs) because I brought it back to that because when you were saying that you launched your last collection Mm -hmm. and the 20 versus 80 percent but the impact it had Mm -hmm. was so great it made me think of that and that's just such an important message and it's so Mm -hmm. nice that there are business owners like you Mm -hmm. who take the initiative to not only make their business about making money Mm -hmm. but helping other women Mm -hmm. feel look and be their best I think when you struggle with something, you never want someone else to struggle with it too. Absolutely. That's why I started a podcast. Exactly. (laughs) That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We don't want anyone to struggle with all the stuff we struggle with, but turns out we all struggle with it anyway, so we might as well talk about it. I agree 100%. (laughs) Yeah. I know that so many people look up to you and respect Mm -hmm. you and think that you're a complete badass because you are. And I just really appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and sharing your stories. Because mm-hmm. it's not easy to do, especially Definitely when you not. have a business and you want to maintain a certain image. Mm-hmm. But it's important for people to understand that everybody struggles. Mm-hmm. And just because we look like we have it all together on the outside mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. 100%. I think just remember anytime you're dealing, especially with a small local business, that they are probably dealing with a lot more And I think there's this thing where, you know, even the person next to you in the grocery line, like you never know when someone's going through in their day and just trying to be, to put out that positive energy so that we all can have a little bit easier of a time and kind of relieve that and not make anything more intense than it needs to be, you know, keeps us kind of calm and and just remember that because dealing with a business and owning a business, every single decision is on their shoulders as the owner And the buck stops with them, which is also really scary. I don't necessarily want to be always needing to be liked, but I do want my business to have a very positive message. And if I have to say no to someone or if I have to kind of set a boundary that someone's not comfortable with, I don't want them to going out to say all these negative things when it was just what was best for the business. But they could possibly go out there and say something negative 
about you as a person because you own the business. So kind of lead always from a place of positivity and, and honesty. I'd love to work with you. This doesn't work for our business might be a good way to say that, but kind of when you're going into a small business, remember that's a human being you're speaking to and um, kind of just always be there to support them because trust me, I know a lot of them and we all need it. Thank you so much. Thank you. We could literally talk know, for guys. hours. So Amanda's <laughs> definitely coming back on the show probably more than once <laughs> because we we both deal with similar things and her is a just a human being. I think she has a lot to offer. I give a lot of experience. Yeah, make me cry and again. Just blushing and crying. And cool. I think a lot of people need to continue <laughs> to hear her story. If you haven't checked out the new black yet, if you're in Louisville, and even if you're not, mm-hmm. they sell their clothing online. Mm-hmm. It they is ship out every day. It's not a problem. Every day. Every day. There's no excuse not to go check it out. <laughs> but it would be amazing if you would go check it out, support the local girl gang, join mm-hmm. the local girl gang. She's got two events coming up. Mm-hmm. March fifth and March sixth. What's the March fifth one again? Your new collection. March fifth, yes, it's the Rise Collection launch party, um, and just a small plug for that. You can get tickets on our website, and basically we launch a new collection and we have a party to celebrate because every single time you guys. I want to celebrate and I want to bring people in. It's kind of I I always think of it like an art gallery opening, you know. Um, when they have a new exhibit, I think of it like that. So I have a new collection. I have new art out on my racks um, to check out. So that's March 5th. It's a Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then March 6th, which is a Friday. And I don't have two parties in a row often. But hey, it's we are my... Now. We, we leveled go up. bigger go home. <laughs> but uh, this is my five-year anniversary um, of owning the new black since I started it with that first Kickstarter and those three designs and so I'm going to celebrate that too. And I decided it was it warranted a separate party from my collection. So, And plus, some people can't come during the week. And, you know, so a lot of people are really excited for this Friday party um, to really enjoy that too. So March 5th and March 6th, I've got those two events coming up. And they're just at our store and studio. And if you go to the new blackblak.com, under classes and events, then you'll find tickets for both of those. It's a $20 ticket, but you get $20 gift card to the store as soon as you walk in. It's just a great way for me to know who's coming and how much booze to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you if you spend the money to invest in yourself, you will show up. Absolutely. And you'll make sure you get something out of it, and you're going to love it, I know. So if you have a chance, hit up those events. She'll have many more yes. in the future. I... I'm so happy that you decided to do this with me today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for the next Wondering Mind episode coming at you soon. I will have updates on that on my Instagram and Facebook. So yeah, thank you for listening. And I hope wherever you are, you have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to the Wondering Mind podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you wouldn't mind just taking a few moments and leaving us a review, letting us know what you think of the podcast. Also, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Wondering Mind podcast and on Twitter at TWM podcast.